Well, good morning, Heights family. Y'all doing well today? All right, sounds like it. Y'all are almost believable. That's good to hear, man. I'm excited about our theme today, Life is Better Connected. I hope you're getting into life groups. You know, one of the things I pray for our gathering every single week is that when we come here, we, we help each other, we encourage each other, we, we love each other, and, and that's done a lot better in smaller groups than, than it is large groups, and so that's why we push this theme. You know, b- being pastor, I thought I would dress it up a little bit today, and I didn't wear the t-shirt. I got this nice collared shirt and uh, I, I came here and I, w- I was walking down the, uh, the sidewalk this morning and, and Buddy, our campus pastor out at Midlothian, uh, maybe I should say our former campus pastor out at Midlothian, sees me walking down the thing and he says, are, are you in a hurry after church is over? And I, I said, hurry to what? He said, to your other job at Target. And uh, so uh, I, I know who might be working at Target this week, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, welcome to Target. Uh, good to see y'all. <laughs> hey, man, we had a, a phenomenal trip to Israel. Gosh, it just what, was an incredible time and a great experience from the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem. We just got back uh, Friday night, honestly. I cannot believe I'm preaching this morning. I woke up at 2.40 last night, wide awake, ready to go, ready for breakfast. And about halfway through this message, you might be thinking, I, he probably shouldn't have preached today. So, uh, but we, we had just an incredible trip. I look forward to being back. As a matter of fact, we got a couple of trips that we're working on. Uh, Ronnie West is looking at the, who you just saw giving the announcement a little bit earlier. I was working on a trip kind of in the footsteps of Paul, uh, kind of going through Eastern Europe and the Mediterranean there, and I'm looking at a, 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 the next trip that we'll take to Israel. I don't have the dates, but we're going to come out with them pretty soon. I hope to lead a group there about every two to three years, and we'll try to get those dates out as soon as possible so that if that's something you want to do, man, I would certainly... Uh, encourage it, encourage it. Now, after encouraging everybody to, to, to consider going on one of these trips, I, I do want to say somebody on our trip got really sick. And uh, that's Mark and, and Tricia Wolf. Mark specifically got, got sick, ended up in the, the hospital and is still there. What was not able to travel home with us on on Friday, so uh, we're kind of hoping tomorrow, sometime in the next couple of days, he'll be able to make his way home. He'll be be healthy enough to to get on the plane. And so uh, I know a lot of you know him, Mark and Trish, in our choir, and uh, you you be praying for them that they can uh, get home safely here. So uh, children's books. Children's books. I know that's a rough transition, but uh, children's books. What what kind of book do you hope our culture is encouraging children to read? As a matter of fact, the Association for Children's Books has a list of best books for children. What, what do you think would go on that list? Or, or how about this? The American Library Association has a best book for young adults. And there's a book that is on both lists. Can you imagine that? A book that has a message if you're four years old or 24 years old. Our our culture has a book that it's saying, hey, if you're anywhere in that age range, this is something you should read. Barnes & Noble calls it the top ten best books written for teens. The Chicago Library says this is the best of the best. 
The book I'm talking about is not a fantasy, it's not a documentary, it's not a mystery. It's a very simple story, actually, about why Hannah killed herself. Thirteen reasons why, to be exact, as that's the name of the book. Thirteen reasons why. And and really, it's not reasons, it's people. And, And so on page one of the story, Hannah's already passed but but you have these you have these cassettes that have gone to 13 people and these cassettes explain the role that each of those 13 people played in the decision that she made you know as i decided to read this book i'll be honest with you i was surprised by the time i got to the end of it i was surprised because i knew what the book was about and so i was a little bit to be honest with you disgusted by the whole idea Disgusted by the theme of of what was happening in that. But as I began to read it, I have to be honest with you folks, it was a a great read. It was was a page turner. You you didn't want to put it down. I mean, the development of the story, you finished one chapter and you wanted wanted to see what happened in the the next chapter. There's There's no mystery here why this book has sold over 3 million copies. Why it's been translated into... 30 languages, why it was the top series on Netflix last year as the book has now been made into a a movie. Incredible reception, a great story. But while it's a good read, I, I, I was saddened by the lack of redeeming value of the book. Now, I know there'll be many fans of that, maybe some in here, and that, that's just my opinion. And, and, and I, I know what people would say is the redeeming value of the book. That when you read it, you know, you're going to begin to understand it. And, and think about it. this is something I would want a child, a, a 20-year-old, all of us moving into life to understand that, that my words and my actions have an effect on other people's life. Right? Our words, our actions have an impact on others. That, that's an important life lesson. I would imagine that those who are fans of the book would say that's the redeeming value. But I question whether what Hannah did was the way to communicate that story. Because while that's an important life lesson, the book has zero discussion of the finality of death. That the book has no discussion on on. How somebody prepares for death. The book has no discussion of whether suicide is actually in a, an appropriate way, an effective way to deal with life's pains and hurts and struggles. As a matter of fact, it's, the book is just the opposite of dealing with any of those kinds of issues. It, it's actually the glorification of suicide as a way to get even. I mean, that's what the story is. I'm going to stick you with what you did to me and you can live with that guilt the rest of your life. Well, that, that might work. But what a high price to pay. Is that really a price we want to pay to get even? Can I go back to how I started? This is what our culture is saying is a must-read from four-year-olds to 24-year-olds. This is the message of our society. Let me change gears a little bit. 
probably no surprise, you may not have known the exact statistics, but three out of the four largest mass casualty murders in the United States history have happened in the last two years. So so you take a a skyrocketing suicide and these skyrocketing way of just killing everybody and we're clearly pretty angry. We're clearly pretty frustrated. We're clearly hurting and don't know what to do with it. Do do we add to that discussion the number 64,000? That's how many people in the United States died of a drug overdose in one year. 2016. One year. 64,000 people. Switching gears again. How about social media? A lot of wonderful things happen on social media. We get to, I mean, you get to know what I'm thinking and what I'm doing. What's more important than that? I think all of you should know what I'm thinking and doing. See my puppies and my babies. Hey, great things happen on social media. But have you noticed, it, it, it seems like in the last year or two, social media more and more is being fueled by anger, being fueled by outrage. And, and as we get more angry and as we get more outrage, social media, outside of social media, have you noticed, we're, we're having an increasing difficulty learning how to disagree. Hey, and there's some things to strongly disagree with, aren't there? There are some things to say, you know what, you're not my friend. That's not okay. I, I, I get all that. But it seems like we have arrived at a place that if there's any disagreement, any level of disagreement, then my job is to destroy you. If you don't see life like I see it, you should be destroyed. Because you're awful. That's how we disagree now in our country. And so you just start taking all these things together. I'm kind of assuming here, folks, I don't have to prove the things I've just said. I think the ideas, I think the statistics are out there enough. You you see it. And and that's why I would say today, we're, we're not becoming a culture of death. We're past that. We're already there. We live in a culture of death. And it is, it is becoming more important than ever before, not in the history of humanity, but certainly in the history of the United States, that you and I believe the message, live the message, share God's message. More important than ever before. It's important that we know what I'm talking about when I say the message. Folks, did you know that this book right here explains specifically 3,000 years ago, why America is where it is today. We made a choice. There's not something evil or wicked or mysterious happening to us that we can't help. We made a choice and we are exactly where we chose to be. We chose death. Now I'm going to start a series today. It's going to be four weeks long. I'm going to kind of start with the the end in mind, hopefully to give us some hope and direction. I'll I'll be kind of honest with you. When I told our staff what I was doing and that it was going to be four weeks long, they looked at me a little weird. I looked at me a little weird. Four weeks of doom and gloom, death and dying. Hey, don't you want to pop out of bed next week? Come here about suicide. Woo! 
let's go, honey. It's going to be a great day at church. You know, I, I, I don't think it's going to be all doom and gloom. But uh, the, re- the reason I say today that I- I'm beginning with the end is, is because today, really, I-, I could have put this just as easily at the end. Three of the messages are very specific. They're specific to a topic. Next week, we are going to look at suicide. I'm going to answer a question right off the top of the, the bat. Where does somebody go after they've committed suicide? That's a big question a lot of people struggle with, especially if that hits close to home. And, and then I'm actually, I, I've got a friend coming to help me next week. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you folks, I, I need as much help on this as, as anybody out there. I mean, what, what do you say to somebody, right, who's thinking about that? And there's a, a local pastor here in our community. Uh, he's a police chaplain uh, with me. And he's a guy who kind of heads up for our area suicide prevention. And I think he just brings a lot more to the table than I could on that, and so he'll join me during the course of the message. His name, by the way, is Kevin Skellett. I know a lot of our Celebrate Recovery people might know him. He heads that program up at Southside Church of the Nazarene. So he's going to be here to help me with that next week. We're going to look at murder. And I actually gave you a little bit of a teaser a couple of weeks ago in a message because we tend to reduce murder to just little more than, you know, I pick up some kind of weapon and I take your life. That's, that's murder. But I think Jesus kind of expanded that definition. See, my guess is a lot of us in here would say, I've never contributed to a culture of death. I might suggest a lot of us have contributed to a culture of death. And so we're going to look at at the death penalty. Let me ask you a question. Is, Is the death penalty a product of a culture of death? Or is it a prohibitor to a culture of death? So see, we're going to look at three real specific messages like that. And then after looking at all those, you might wrap it up and say, okay, here's where we are. Where do we go from here? But I actually moved it to the beginning. I just felt like we need to, as we head into these, already have in mind why we need to know this information so that we know where we're going. You know, it's not a fun series. It's not fun. This is not fun stuff to talk about. As you've heard me say, I have a burden as a pastor and really for our young people as much as anybody any other age that when they go to church, they hear their church talking about what's actually going on in the world. Where we live, what's going on around us. And if we are in fact in a culture of death, then aren't the people who carry life, don't we need to be able to speak to our kids our friends, our co-workers, and be able to address this? What, what does that mean to speak life? What, what do you say to somebody who says, I'm thinking about killing myself? What, what do you do when you're around somebody who's wound really tight and you're kind of wondering what it looks like when they snap? What does it mean to speak life in our home, into our own lives, into our culture. I I actually think there's a chance to leave this series not with a a dark, heavy cloud over us, but maybe with a sense of peace. I mean, I prefer we not have a culture of death, but I know where I am. I know where I'm going. I know how to respond and act and live in this in the way God would have me to. I, I, I can't think of anything more important for moms and dads to be able to speak into the lives of their own children than to be able to speak life. So that's our goal, that, that's where we're heading, and we're going to start today with why America is that. I just said, 
it explained it 3,000 years ago, how we got here. So let's look at that passage now. Look with me this morning at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you have a Bible with you, I hope you'll get that out and open it up there. You'll find Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in the Bible. It's at the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You get to Joshua, you've gone too far. Deuteronomy, that's a weird word, isn't it? it? It means second law. Second time the law was given. The first time the law was given was back in Exodus, the second book of the Bible. But now Deuteronomy is going to repeat a lot of that, review a lot of that. And so it was titled uh, The Second Law. This book, the first five books are written by Moses. So this is Moses writing, Moses speaking on behalf of God 3,000 years later to you and to me. Deuteronomy chapter 30, let me begin in verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live. You're going to live and you're going to multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you won't hear and you're drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, man, I declare to you today that you're going to perish. You're not going to live long in the land that you're going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. Listen, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. I I just hear... I hear Moses concerned and looking out there. Guys, I've, I've, I've put before you life and death. Come on. Come on. Let The believers, the ones who know God, we've got to choose life for the rest of humanity. Man, I see Moses just pleading there and that I call heaven and earth to witness. Verse 20. Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, And holding fast to Him. Look at those three phrases. Loving the Lord, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him. For He is your life, your length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Man, I have set before you a choice. Now, to be specific of of where the choice is being set, this is Moses talking to the Israelites, about two million of them. They've been over 400 years in slavery in Egypt. They they were delivered from that profoundly by awesome works of of God. And, And after seeing all of God's power, they still stumbled in their faith. And that led to them wandering around in the desert for 40 years. But but that has now worked through. And they're they're literally on the banks of the Jordan. They're on the east side of the Jordan, heading into the promised land. And Moses won't be going with them. And and, and so now he's setting this for the second time, the deutero, the second law. He's setting this before them. And he's saying, you're going to have to make a choice. And it's not just making a choice as we walk through the waters of the Jordan. And we're going to, in the next book, Joshua, we're going to see Joshua part the Jordan and they'll walk through on dry land. But it's not just make a choice in this moment. No, it's a choice we make every single day. 
It's a choice we make in every conversation, in every decision, in our attitude. It's, a, it's, a, it's constantly ongoing. And he says, you've got to make the right. You're going to choose whether you get over there and experience life or, or whether you get over there and experience death. Now, he says, I've set before you today. Now, to, to understand what he has set before them, you have to go back to when today began. And today began in chapter 27. Chapter 27 to chapter 30 is a sermon, really, from Moses to the people. It's the third sermon in the book of Deuteronomy. So it's in this kind of sermonic fashion that, that Moses is presenting this choice to them. And in cha- he starts in chapter 27 with a series of curses. Boy, that's a lot of fun, isn't it? Let's just go over some curses. Now, you've got to understand what a curse is. A curse is not, if you don't do what I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zap you with a, a witch spell. No, that, that's not what a curse is. A curse is, if, if you do this, it's going to break. There are things that you do, if you do that, it's going to bring curse, it's going to bring brokenness, it's going to bring death. Into your individual life, into that relationship, into an entire community. And and so chapter 27, along about verse 16, if you have your Bible open, look look down there. You'll you'll see this this long list of curses in in verse 16. It starts with, and I'm not mentioning all of them, there's there's a curse for dishonoring your parents. There's a curse, I'd forgotten this verse was in there. Did you know the Bible says there's a curse for taking advantage of a handicapped person? There's a curse for taking advantage of somebody that can't defend themselves. It has a long list of curses over different sexual practices. And basically, it's any kind of sexual practice outside of one man and one woman in marriage. There's a curse, kind of brings us to today's topic, for striking somebody down. Again, this isn't you do one of these things and, ooh, I don't like you. I'm coming after you to make life bad. No, if you do these things, this is the product. This is what's going to happen. And then in chapter 28, he kind of swings around and, praise the Lord, we get to talk about blessings. And the blessings, you know, the great blessing that runs all the way through it is strength. Strength against enemies. Man, what greater enemy is there than death? But there is a strength to be found against our enemies. And if you read down through chapter 28, as a matter of fact, you heard some of these words in the the passage I just read in chapter 30. You're going to hear these words. You're going to hear live, multiply, prosper, abundant, fruitful. What are all those words? Those words are all life. They're, They're all life thriving, booming, thriving life. And and so when you look, chapter 27 to 30, it's kind of saying, okay, here's a way to live, and it's going to result in kind of a really thriving, productive, fruitful life. Here's another way to live, and it's just just going to break things. It's going to break things in your life. It's going to break things in your relationship. It's going to break things throughout the community, resulting in death. And, and, and so this is, this is all set before them in the passage I just read in chapter 30 is kind of the, the wrap-up, the conclusion. He makes it clear. Man, hey, listen, th- this isn't just about a list of rules. You're, you're making a choice. 
You're making a choice. You're choosing whether your life and home and culture is going to experience life or you're choosing whether it experiences death. And folks, if you look at the choices America has been making for about 50 or 60 years now, we are exactly where we chose to be with every single step that we take away from this book. So, so what do we do? Pat ourselves on the back for, for having a Bible and, and shame the world out there? No, folks, the world out there doesn't have the message of life. You have the message of life. You have the message. I have the message. It, it's up to us to make a choice. And we don't make a choice because we're trying to be pretty good people who go to church every now and then. It's an intentional choice we make all day, every day, all the time. And so what, how do we make that choice? In, in chapter 30, in the passage I read, there was three phrases, and I, and I want to use those as a way that you and I make a choice for life and how we're going to speak life into our home and into our culture. So three things. Number one, super simple ideas. Folks, there is nobody in this room, nobody out at Midlothian, nobody watching online that can hear these three points and say, well, I just can't do that. That's just too hard. No, they, these aren't hard. Folks, listen, God has made it so that we can choose life. These are not difficult things that you can't do. If, you know, if you can just get two out of three, maybe you'll get close. No, he's, he's made it so that we can choose life. Number one, love God. Did you hear that? Man, love God. You want to choose life for your home? Love God. And and the scripture tells us that the way we love God first and foremost is by loving the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We love Him and we obey Him. Now, now love has just kind of a, for us, mostly just an ooey-gooey feeling, right? Just makes me feel warm inside. I love pizza. It makes me feel warm inside. You know, I love the Broncos, makes me feel warm inside. I love Jesus, makes me feel warm inside. But, but if, you, if you go to Scripture, there's a lot more involved than just, I've got a warm feeling in here somewhere for Jesus. When I love Jesus, and that, and that is literally the goal and the passion of my life, right? Then what happens is, all of the time, and as I thought about this this week, I realized I'm not even close to doing this. But all the time, loving Jesus becomes the total measure of my life. You know, somebody is ugly to me, somebody is mean to me, and so I give back to them what they have coming. I mean, they have it coming, right? But even if they had it coming, I still have to ask myself, did I just love Jesus there in the way I handled that person who had it coming? Did I just love Jesus in the attitude that I carry around school, around work, and that everybody feels and experiences? Am I loving Jesus in the way I made that decision? Did I, did I love Jesus in that purchase? It's just, you know, I'd love to say, hey, try to ask yourself this time, three, three times this week, if you loved Jesus. Folks, it, three times is so far from what we need to be doing. It's every day, all day. It's every interaction. It's every single time I can stop myself. I've got to pray, Lord, don't let me start running through a day. Let me constantly stop and say, did I just love Jesus there? And guess what? Your feelings are not the answer to that. Your friends 
are not the answer to that. Unless your friends and your feelings are sending you to this book. This book tells me what it looks like to love Jesus, what it means to love Jesus. It's not what, it's not what everybody around me thinks and what everybody else says is okay. I go to this book to see what it means, what it looks like to love Jesus. Now, even after I say that, love still has this kind of feeling thing. As long as I feel like I love, as long as I feel like I love God, then I'm, I'm good to go, Right? And so that's why I think God goes one step next, number two, to obey God. Love God, obey God. The truth of the matter is, in Scripture, there's zero difference. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. The reason we obey is not because we've got to keep a list of rules to make an angry God happy. No, we obey because we love. There really is two sides of the same coin. But what, what obey does is it helps me take that step of just thinking about love as a feeling and it helps me to start thinking concretely. Okay? Because God said, don't lie. Okay, well, did I obey that? Did I obey that in that moment I just walked through? I, I either obeyed or I, I didn't obey, right? God says, don't gossip. How many of us have come to church and heard a sermon on gossiping and gossiped before we left the church property? Don't raise your hands because it's shameful. Now I've got to go back and ask the other question. How many of you have lied? Because you just lied if you said, I've never gossiped at church. <laughs> See, I just, it's all day long. Man, did I obey the Lord in that? I'm pretty sure I didn't. <laughs> what do I do now? What, what is it, gosh, what does it mean to obey God? I'm kind of angry. I'm kind of hurting. I I want to respond to this. What does it mean to obey God as I do that? Now, folks, when you talk about love and obey, you, you know what we just defined? Following Christ. Following Christ is not showing up to church every now and then. Following Christ is not saying, I'm I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. Following Christ means every day I'm trying to kind of stay right. Got my hand right there on his belt loop and I'm just trying to stay as close as I can. How do I do that? How do I stay close to Christ as I walk through any given day? I'm constantly evaluating. Was that love? Was that obedience? What does it mean to love? What does it mean to obey here? That's got to become just a defining thought, thoughts as we work through each and every day that we live. And then, and then we're given one more idea. Hold on to God. Did you, did you hear that phrase in chapter 30? Hold on to God. You know, you know when I see that phrase, it, it almost comes across to me like a, like a pep talk. Come on now. Hold on to God. No, it's been a bad day. No, it's been a hard week. Hold, hold on to God. Folks, hold, hold on to God is not a pep talk. Hold on to God is what you and I have been put on this planet to do while everything going on around us says, let go of God. I mean, you're going to have a dozen interactions with people this week that would question why you hold on to God in the midst of that. You've got sexual desires that say, I don't need to hold on to God right here. You've got financial goals that say, God, God, God. Folks, you and I live in a world where we're tempted every single day not to hold on to God. 
Hebrews chapter 11 says, without faith, because that's what holding on to God is, right? When everything around me is saying let go, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why am I on this planet to please God? How am I going to please God? Hold on to Him. Hold on to Him when everything else is saying let go. Three super simple ideas. That's what I need to do. I'm going to love God. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to hold on to God. Now, how do I take those three ideas and... And, and, and begin to go out into my world, and into the United States that I live in, and, and try to change this culture of death. Well, number one, it, it's, it starts with me. I need to live it. Because if I'm speaking something I'm not living, I'm just a hypocrite and a liar, right? So first of all, I've got to live it. I've got to be living every day with one thought. Loving, obeying, and holding on to God. And then I've got to start speaking it. My goodness, folks, you know what? Those three phrases will guide you in every single parenting challenge that you have. To walk up alongside a child and say, hey, how do, how do we love God in this? I know you were hurt today. I know that was very, very mean. So how, how, how do we love God through an experience like that? What, what does it mean to obey God in this? Hey, how do you decide what you're going to do you want to raise a child in the lord raise them with those three questions every day all day and it's not just children is it i mean folks how many how many friends are we having conversations and and listen i'm i'm no different i don't want to sound judgmental and like i'm bringing something but how many places could i have said just this last week man that sounds hard i don't know if i've ever been anything through like that 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 Man, I want to pray for you. I'm just going to be praying you can really hold on to God in a challenging situation like that. Or, or even to say, you know, how do, how do you think somebody loves God through what you're going through? Man, let's, let's think about that together. Let's pray about that together. Hey, I wonder what it looks like to obey God in this moment. You don't have to assume that they're not loving God to assume they're not obeying God. It's just putting the question out there. You know what's amazing is how many of us here in the church are pretty squeamish and pretty shy about saying something like that. But guess what? Nobody at your work and nobody at school is a bit shy about speaking death into our lives. They're not shy at all about it. They're not shy about lying. They're not shy about hating. They're not shy about attacking. They're not shy about gossiping. They're not shy about destroying anything. And here you and I are going, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. What are you doing this week if it's not speaking life? Why should you even be alive? If you're not speaking life in your home, and speaking life in school, and speaking life at work, I don't know how to... What's loving God? What's obeying God? What's holding on to God? It's just asking simple questions so that we can start building a culture of life again. Now, you know what I think our tendency is? I know it'd be my tendency if I was sitting out there. Oh yeah, that's going to change everything. With the incredible injustices going on in our world, with missiles flying, with mental illness, with, with, with just evil and meanness, 
I mean, I, I thought about this. I'm looking at my three points and I'm thinking, gosh, it's kind of like I'm saying, okay, now I know the world's all falling apart, but y'all be kind this week and smile. And, and so it's like, really? That's your big answer. Love God, obey God, and, and hold on to God. Go, go get them. <laughs> Thanks, pastor. Anything else? You know why, and I am assuming you don't think it works. You know why we think those three things won't change everything? Because we haven't tried it. Folks, the word, word of God has not failed. We have failed to use the Word of God. We have failed to do and live exactly what it says. The choice is yours. I'm putting it before you. You, in all of your decisions, in all of your words, in all of your attitudes, you're going to choose life. Or you're going to choose death. And you made those choices all this week. My goodness, you know, you start putting it out like that. You, you start realizing, hey, I think studying this thing's pretty important. I mean, do, do you realize how incredibly important it is that we, we read this, we memorize this, we study this, where every day we're engaging with it, so I do know what it looks like to love God, and I'm not just making that up with whatever I feel. I do know what obedience means. Folks, there is obedience. There is a way that is right, and there is a way that is wrong. This book is not hate. This book is life. And I'll tell you something, I'm not surprised. Yeah, we applaud for that. By the way, you don't think I just came up with a neat saying, do you? Because it says it all the way through here. This is life. You know what I'm stunned by in the culture that you and I live as we go out there this week to hopefully choose a culture of life? I'm not stunned by the world that's rejected the Bible. I'm stunned by the number of churches and the number of believers that are saying they can know and love God as they walk away from this book. That they can know and love God in a way that the world applauds them while they reject. I put a choice before y'all. There's a way that brings life and there's a way that brings death. And, and it's the people who should know that are ignoring that. It's the people who should be telling it that are hiding it. Choose life. Choose it for your home. I mean, how hard is that to say to our mate, to our children? Hey, what, what would loving God look like here? Hey, did we, I, did we even pray about that? <laughs> did we obey God in how we did that? I mean, let's pray our marriage holds on to God and let's pray our, our, our kids see it and our neighbors see it and, and our friends at church see it and everybody at work sees it. We're holding on to God. That's all we're holding on to. Because everything this week is going to say, boy, you really ought to let go of them. We choose life. And if you're watching a culture of death, who do you think God's giving the assignment to to fix it? It's you and me, right? I don't know if I believe all that. Watch the news, folks. <laughs> Watch the news. Because America is proving what Deuteronomy 30 said 3,000 years ago. Every step away from here is a step toward brokenness and death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now and we ask, I ask for a renewed passion for the Bible. 
a renewed passion to read it, to study it, to get together with others in life group and together read and study and memorize so that, God, we know how to go out into the world this week and love you and obey you and hold on to you. Not, not just based on our, our thoughts and feelings and the opinions of our friends, but based on what your word says. God, may we believe we've been given an assignment and may we go out there and speak life into our home and our school and our our workplace and on the ball team and on the ball field and, and everywhere we go. May we speak life and may we realize how much our kids, our friends, our culture needs us to do this. Lord, we ask for your help in that. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen.